be found in your place in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Let's stand together as we open God's Word together. We'll actually look at at, at, uh, a few verses before and after verses 9 through 12. But some of you might recognize this many years ago. Uh, When I came here as pastor, I asked folks that are going to pray for me to use this passage to guide your prayer because it's one of the greatest prayers in Scripture, and I know of at least one or two people here that have uh, that in the margin of their Bible that when they see this passage, it's a reminder to pray this prayer for me. But Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, Paul writes, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. And we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Some translations say in, all, in spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word spiritual could be placed. I'm reading the, the Holman Christian Standard Version. Some people call it the HCSV. Some people call it the Hardcore Southern Baptist um, Bible. But you may um, have the King James or New King James. It may be worded a little bit differently there. It's just a matter of where that adjective spiritual is placed. And I think it probably modifies both the wisdom and understanding. And he says, so that you may be able to walk, a, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him and bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Father, we do want to give you thanks this day and as we prepare for this Thanksgiving season. Remind us of all that we have in Jesus, and that that is all we need. And it's to him we give the praise this morning. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we, six weeks ago, started this journey uh, called the Seven Summits. And today, we arrive at summit number seven. The summit we'll call Pursuit. The Pursuit Summit. And you'll see that this relates quite well to the subject of thanksgiving because of the context of the passage that we're looking at. We started with provision, and we said each one of these summits were not only sequential. We can think of the life and the time of young people from really from the time of birth, that provision summit, all the way to pursuit. And today we're talking about that season of life where they're launched out. We will have every year a big uh, graduate recognition service here, and you will if you have a graduating senior in your home, have a time of celebration where you celebrate that sending out, that launching out. And everything that we've looked at from Summit 1 through Summit 7 is something that will help us in what we call the Christ follower's journey to become all that they can be to the glory of God. And I've, I have said this is going to be something we keep before the church for a long time. These seven summits, this journey, this discipleship process is going to provide us core competencies that you've heard us preach and teach on, a process of accountability for all our children and student workers here that we'll keep before this next generation so that by the time they graduate from high school and are launched out in this world, they are equipped both by what we're doing here at the church, what you're doing in the home as we're equipping the home to bring up a generation that knows and loves and serves the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be fully equipped to pursue God's will like never before. And so we look at it sequentially. We also look at it as something that we all have to revisit. Each one of these summits have allowed none of us to kind of check out and say, oh, he's talking about something that's for the next generation. He's talking about something that's for my kids or my grandkids 
those children at the church. No, we're talking about summits that all of us have to revisit. And so we're going to keep this before the church so that we can all say, how am I doing in my journey with Jesus? And so, I mean, you've even seen uh, uh, Pastor Ben and our twinsies. We don't do that often, but we, today we, we've got on the Seven Summit uh, shirts and we've got t-shirts available because we really want to get this uh, drilled into our minds and into our hearts that these seven summits are so important because as you have seen the principles have come right out of scripture through this process and so we'll wrap it all up next week but I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to pursue now when I think of the word pursuit I have just because of that battle with the carnal mind there's something that comes back to my mind every time I hear the word pursuit and every good redneck in northeast Georgia knows what I'm talking about and it's a, it's, a, it's a show, it's a movie, actually, I originally saw at a drive-in theater. I don't even know if we'd let our kids go to drive-in theaters today if they still exist. But a movie that I saw at a drive-in theater. You think disrespectful law enforcement is a new thing? No, 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 no. It's been around since the 70s at least because this movie just kind of demonstrated to, to the nth degree a, a great disrespect for law enforcement. As a matter of fact, if anything has changed in our culture today, it's that we've learned to respect law enforcement better because um, the hero of this movie has changed. Back in the 70s, the heroes were a a man named Bandit, Burt Reynolds, or Snowman, Jerry Reed. Those were the heroes when I went as a kid because of our gross disrespect for law enforcement, right? And the villain was a filthy mouth sheriff as a matter of fact if anybody in the next generation is saying i guess i've got to go watch this movie pastor robbie was talking about no 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 no. watch the edited version and tv doesn't even edit them like they used to right watch the edited version because this is a foul mouth sheriff named (laughs) all right i heard it buford t justice you know who i'm talking about that he is chasing this crew from texas all the way back to the great state of georgia And when asked from one state to the next, why are you still chasing this guy? It was always the same thing. I am still chasing him because I am in hot pursuit. That's right. He he said a lot of other things I won't repeat, but he always said, I am in hot pursuit. I'm not giving up the chase. And so today, this movie that has become somewhat iconic, people look back and it's no longer Burt Reynolds and Jerry Reed that are the stars. It's no longer that those guys that are the heroes. It's not Bandit and Snowman. It's, it's Buford T. Justice because we have something within us that appreciates that never give up attitude, that relentless pursuit. And we even remember the scene at the end where he says, I've been chased by the best of them, but nobody ever chased me like you. You know, you know I've never been chased. Somebody can probably quote that exactly and quote a lot of other things that we want to ask you to repeat this morning. But it was relentless pursuit. And I thought to myself, what if we had that kind of attitude in pursuit of God's will for our lives? Where I am going after what God has for me. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to pursue it with all I've got. Last week we talked about the Passion Summit. When we direct all those passions into pursuing the will of God for our lives. Pastor Ben uh, had such a great analogy. I wanted to say after his sermon a couple of weeks ago that uh, we should all want to be a biscuit, right? Remember the rabbit dog biscuit, you know, that hot pursuit. We should all want to be in hot pursuit of what God has for us. So summit number seven is the pursuit summit. 
And Paul's writing to the church at Colossae here, and he's battling an ancient form of Gnosticism. If you haven't heard much about what Gnosticism was all about, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, having to do with knowledge. And what they had begun to do is ignore the material and the physical world, and they combined their religion with uh, a type of knowledge and spirituality that was really not Christ-like in any way when it began to infiltrate the church. Uh, That's seen today, and it's certainly been revived today by what we would call religious existentialism. And you, some of you are going, well, what, what do you mean by religious existentialism? It's, it's where you kind of say, hey, I base everything just on, on knowledge and, and my experience. What I experience has to be real. It has to be, has to be true. But it's been uh, also combined with uh, moral relativism and what may be right for you may not be right for me. What may be right for me may not be right for you. There is no absolute truth, and we can't really know anything for sure. So uh, let's just be satisfied, not with being a Bible-believing Christian, but let's be satisfied with being spiritual. I don't know how many times I've heard people, when I begin to share my faith, and I talk about what Jude called the faith, once we're all delivered to the saints, and I say, listen, we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Say, oh, no, 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 I'm not a Christian. And sometimes I'll say, I'm not religious, and I'm not really religious either. Um, being extremely irreverent this morning, my wife gave me permission to wear jeans today, but it's not about being religious, but, but they'd say, I'm not, I'm not a Christian, I'm not, but they, then they would say, but I am spiritual. I am a spiritual person. Like we're supposed to say, oh, okay, well, as long as you're spiritual, that's not really my response. My response is usually, well, demons are spiritual beings. It doesn't mean anything that you're spiritual. Or like, yeah, I believe in the supernatural. The demons believe and tremble, James says. And so they begin to separate the physical and the material from the, the, the spiritual and this, this growth in knowledge and justify all kinds of behaviors. That's why Paul had to write to Thessalonica in this same cultural environment in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, and he says, this is the will of God for your life that you abstain from sexual immorality. He was trying to say, you know, you're talking about pursuing God's will, and in pursuing God's will, you think that the physical doesn't matter, and it does matter. And he told the church at Corinth, your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what it's involved in physically is a reflection of who you are spiritually. What is on the inside should work its way out in your lifestyle. And, and so we, we want to pursue God's will, and it should impact every single area of our life. Not just our ministry within the local church, but our vocation, who we marry and who we don't marry. Uh, this past Wednesday night at our men's meeting, we were talking about how we can thank God for unanswered prayers in our life sometimes. Uh, some bad choices that we could have made along the way. Uh, 1 John five fourteen says we have this confidence if we ask anything according to what? His will, then we'll have what we ask. But James chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3 says we We have not because we ask not. We ask and we have not because we ask amiss, not knowing what? The will of God. And so part of our our pursuit of the will of God is described in Scripture as a a process of prayer. We're going to get into that process in just a moment. But we see right here a a beautiful prayer in Colossians chapter 1, these verses 9 through 12, as Paul begins praying for the church to know the will of God. And what the cool thing about this prayer is not only is he praying for the church to know the will of God, he's describing what it's going to look like as this prayer is being answered. 
So Paul did something wonderful for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in that he showed how the prayer would be answered. He begins to reveal for us those things concerning the will of God. So if you're here this morning, whether you're maybe that junior or senior in high school that we were directing things toward last week, or those of you who are in college, I've seen uh, some of our college young men that drifted back in this morning, about four or five of them already. So uh, one of them's my son who surprised his mom a little bit ago. These guys are pursuing God's will for their life, saying, man, I'm at a seat. They're going to probably change their major along the way. But they're saying, what is God's will and God's, God's plan, God's purpose for my life? If you're in a midlife season, you're asking the same thing, right? What's God's, am I going to continue to do what I'm doing for the rest of my life? What is God's will, God's purpose, God's calling? And so Paul begins to re- reveal that. Some of you get close to that age of retirement. What's God's purpose, God's will, God's plan for my life? And so you you look at it, first of all, in this text, and we see that there's a process of pursuing God's will that's revealed in this prayer, and prayer is actually part of the process. He says in verse 9, for this reason, and when you see a statement like that, you have to ask yourself the question to to be a, a, a good student of the Scriptures, for what reason? What are you talking about? Well, it goes back to this preceding passage that is a great Thanksgiving passage. He says in verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. He's saying, listen, here's our Thanksgiving message. Our Thanksgiving is that, man, we're thanking God for what he's doing in your life. And of all the things we could be thankful for this morning, what should be at the top of the list is what God wants to do in our lives. And he's saying, when I look at the church there at Colossae, I see God's at work in your life, and he's working himself out. You're beginning to love God. You're beginning to love people. You're beginning to make a difference in your community. You're making a difference in your world. And I thank God that he's at work in your life. When I give God thanks for the folks at Trinity Baptist Church, I'm thanking God for how he is working in your lives and the testimonies that I'm hearing from you of, hey, listen, Pastor Robbie, what what God did in my life this week. So that is what we're giving thanks for. And so pursuing God's will begins with this process of where I have an attitude of gratitude. I'm thankful for what he's doing. If I'm not thankful for what he's doing in my life, I'm not going to be looking for what he still has in store for me. And so Paul says, listen, I'm praying, and we're praying without ceasing for you. Unceasing prayer in the community of faith is a part of our discovering God's will for our life. When we are part of a a people of faith, a community of faith called the local church, And we have a family, a praying family that's praying for us. When we have mentors in our life, like even as Paul would pray for Timothy and others that he led, the the leaders here at the church at Colossae, when we have those mentors in our life praying for us, that's a big process of our discovering God's will. When you go into your child's bedroom at night and they lay down and sometimes they're, they're not asleep yet and you pray with them, sometimes they are asleep and you slip back in there and you lay a hand on their shoulder, and you say a prayer for them. That's part of the process of helping them discover God's calling and God's will in their life. And so part of this pursuit of the will of God is is enhanced by the, the process of prayer that is continually existing in the life of believers among the leaders, among the community of faith, in the families. Prayer permeates everything. And not only that, but there's the importance we see of walking in step with the Spirit. He says, I'm praying, and he begins to describe the will of God and how we engage it. 
And he says, we're asking that you would be filled, how? With the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding our uh, wisdom and spiritual understanding. He talks about the importance of, hey, walk in step with the Spirit of God. So you have the Spirit of God and, and the Word of God guiding you in all that you do. You say, well, how does that work? Quite simply, we're to be filled with the knowledge of his will, guided by the Holy Spirit, but that's not just a passive thing to where we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to meditate today. Just show me what I'm to say and do. Okay, Lord, I'm waiting. There are some pastors, that that's their philosophy of preaching this morning. I'm not really going to prepare anything. I'm just going to stand up behind the pulpit and I'm just going to wait. God, you tell me what to say right now. And Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? That's the foundational verse for our Iwana ministry. And so we're to be students of the word of God. In John chapter 16, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and lead us into all truth. In John 17, when Jesus was praying for us, when Jesus was praying for his disciples, he said, Father, I pray that you would sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And so it's a life of prayer. It's a life before the word of God where we're discovering the principles that we're to live by and we discover his purpose and his principles in his word in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the word and shows us how to apply it in our daily living. And so by taking Jesus by the hand and walking with him, we end up going where he wants us to go. And so a lot of times when it comes to the pursuit of the will of God, we understand this process. It's one of those hindsight is twenty twenty. Many of you would say, I had no idea the things God had in store for me. He didn't disclose all of it for me to see, but I remember a time where I took Jesus by the hand and I started walking with him and I learned how to pray. I learned how to study his word. I learned how to apply his principles. And now I look back and I see, look where God has brought me to. And so there's a process of being guided by spiritual wisdom and discernment and understanding as I walk, he says, worthy of the one who called. So it's, it's a character thing in my life too. I'm not focused on just what God wants me to do. I'm focused on being who God wants me to be in verse 10 so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And then he talks about bearing fruit. Galatians 5, 23, the fruit of the spirit. And by the way, Galatians 5 talks about walking in the spirit and not according to the flesh and not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And then he talks about the fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so part of the process is saying, Lord, don't just reveal to me what it is you want me to do. Create in me who it is you want me to be by you coming to take up residence in my life and help me to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18, so that you're living your life through me, making me who you called me to be. In Acts chapter 22, the apostle Paul is giving his testimony of his calling. And how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And what happened as far as him getting in involved, involved in God's will. And he talks about Ananias coming to pray for him. And he, Paul says that Ananias said to him, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. To see the righteous one. And to hear a voice from his mouth. He's saying exactly what we try to say time and time again. Ananias came to Paul and he prayed for him. 
and he said, Paul, I want you to know God has a plan for your life, and he's going to use you, and he's going to speak to you, and he's going to speak through you. So, Paul, get ready for what God wants to do. And we need to say those same words, those words of Ananias. We talk a lot about Paul, but can we be an Ananias in somebody's life and say, listen, God has a plan for your life. God wants to use you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak through you. He wants to empower you to make a difference in this world. That's what Ananias was doing. See, we're not just saved, and sometimes we look at our own salvation this way, and sometimes we communicate this way to our children. We're, we're not just saved for heaven. Now, I'm glad heaven is very real, and I'm glad that it's the destiny of all of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But we're not just saved for heaven. We're saved to begin a journey down a narrow road with the Lord Jesus Christ, getting in on this side of heaven those things that God has in store for those who love him. That's speaking of this side of heaven. Eyes not seen, ears not certain, nor nor has entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love him has to do with walking with Jesus on that narrow road. When I proposed to my wife, when I went back down, some of you know the story, went back down to Hard Labor Creek State Park and where I first accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and said I wanted to make that second most important decision where I made the first most important decision. And I asked her, quoting Psalm 34, 3, O magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together, will you be my wife? She said yes. And she didn't understand me to be asking because what I really want is for us to retire together. Now I look forward to that one day. No time soon, right? I look forward to that. I look forward to us living in, in those retirement years together. But I didn't, I didn't say to her, look, because I can't think of anybody better that I would want to retire with one day than you. No, I, I was asking her to begin that journey right then and there. And, and when we would say our vows on our wedding day that we would begin a process, we would begin a journey together, a relationship that, that would, there would be many highs and there would be many lows, but we would always stand together that we would be on mission together. And then one day, if the Lord so sees fit to leave us on this earth long enough, I look at the things that are taking place in the world today, and he may be getting ready to call us home. But one day, Lord willing, then we might retire together and enjoy those years together as well. So many people look at salvation as, okay, you got your home in heaven. And if we don't see that Salvation by grace through faith in Christ is just the beginning of a wonderful journey down a narrow road with our Lord and Savior that we're going to retire with, that we're going to spend eternity with one day. Then we're missing the point, and we may have misunderstood salvation by grace through faith in Christ. It's the beginning of a walk. It's the beginning of a journey of pursuing His will. It's where we're discovering our gifts, discovering our calling, our passions, do you know those things about yourself and, and, and your children? Uh, especially those of you who have older children about to leave the nest soon. Are, what moves them? Are they get excited about working with people or numbers or things? You know, the personality assessment that all of our, our staff took a couple of years ago. It tells you, do you get most excited working with people or with numbers or things? You know, what, what's your personality? What drives you? What lights your fire? What keeps you motivated and pressing on? So discover those things as you walk with him and begin to pursue God's will. It's it's spending time in the prayer and in the word. It's life in the spirit. It's learning how God's designed and created you and getting in on what he has for you. And then I want us to 
See, this prayer continues to talk about the power that we need in pursuing God's will. Look at the power for pursuing God's will as he prays not only that they would discover the will of God, but he says in verse 11 that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Strengthen. And then he uses the same root for that word strengthen when he says with all powers. The word in the Greek is the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite. It's, it's really speaking of a, a supernatural power on the inside. That means the, the Holy Spirit has to come and take residence in us. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that's going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. That power is to empower you to be a witness and an influence for the glory of God. And then he says, according to his glorious might, and the, the phrase glorious might here speaks of a manifest power that is worked its way out based on our choices and actions. And so the, the power of God in faith is not just some kind of passive thing where we say, well, I just believe. I just believe and God's going to do his thing. Manifest power means, and so I make an, a choice to obey God and as I make a choice to obey God, all of a sudden the power that's within manifests itself and it begins to come out. It's a glorious might. And then, then the endurance is added to this, the ability to remain under a load, the, the ability to stay with it. And so we need that supernatural power to give us the endurance to stay with it. So many times people, they, they start strong, but they don't finish strong. They, they leave for college and tackle a new career, and start out and say, man, I'm going to change the world for God. And then five years and ten years later, they don't stand up under the load anymore. We need that supernatural power to bring endurance, ability to stay under the load because Jesus is living in us and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And then he says with patience. The word patience there means something takes a long time to heat up. In the midst of trials, they, we don't throw in the towel. We, we remain with it. We don't give up. We don't quit. So we need this power, the supernatural power that's in us working itself out. For it is God who works in you both to do and to will, according, to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Now look, we see it's, it's uh, walking in the Spirit, working in the Spirit. Look at, if you'll just kind of flip a page at chapter 2, he adds some insight to this in verses 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with, and there's that word again, the attitude, the environment that gives us that, that, that right mentality for pursuing his will. He says, with thanksgiving. So that goes back to the previous six summits. Are we established in him? Are we rooted in him? We know what we believe and why we believe it, and we know that we've got a call in our lives and we're going to stick with it. Now we're going to pursue God. And we're going to have this power as we walk in him. With an attitude of thanksgiving. They would say of the disciples in the book of Acts that they were ordinary unschooled men. But there was one thing about them. They, they had been with Jesus. There was a power on the life of these disciples. After the resurrection and after Pentecost, these who had ran and hid like cowards now were bold and willing to die for their faith. Because something had changed in them their encounter with Jesus and the Spirit of God working inside of them. In 1996, I had the privilege opportunity to meet an astronaut by the name of Charlie Duke. Charlie Duke was 
on the uh, Apollo 16 mission to the moon. He actually walked on the moon. He, in his crew was Ken Mattingly, some of you might remember from the Apollo 13 movie. But he and Ken Mattingly, um, John Young, I believe it was, was the third astronaut on that mission, went to the moon. And, and Charlie Duke told us this as uh, he, he was at our church there in, in North Carolina. He said, I, I walked on the moon but I didn't know how to walk with the one who made the moon. I had felt the power of the Apollo 16 launch that launched me into space. You know, a lot of people thought all that stuff was fake. Everybody's got a grandmother somewhere, right, that thinks that they were just out in the desert somewhere in Arizona. But he said, I felt the power of that rocket that, that launched us out into space. And I had no idea that it didn't compare to the power of God. And as he began to look back on the earth from the moon, he knew that there had to be a creator. There had to be one who was all-powerful. And he said, listen, that journey to the moon is nothing compared to what I discovered when I found that Jesus Christ died for me, rose again. He came to live inside of me. I discovered the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, the power of walking with him. You can read about his testimony in his book, Moonwalker. He said, I walked on the moon, but I didn't walk with God. So he had to discover how to have that relationship with God. Our young people need to learn how to encounter and engage the Spirit of God. Just coming to church and hearing all the right things, all the right lessons, and, and being in your home and being told there's a list of religious do's and don'ts that they're to adhere to, that's not going to be enough unless they for themselves encounter the power of God, then they're going to fade out and they're not going to have a genuine, authentic relationship with God. And so we want this to be a place of encounter every Lord's Day when we gather, every Wednesday night, any reason we gather for any purpose. I pray that Trinity will be a place of encounter and this seventh summit will always be for us that we're passionately pursuing the will of God for our lives. But your home also has to be a place of encounter where they see it in your life, they see it in your prayer life, they see it in your passions, and they say, man, God is real and he is powerful and he is at work. They need to learn to encounter and engage him on a daily basis. You know why many don't? You know why many will graduate from high school and they will be launched out and not really know what the, the power of God can be in their life? The reason many won't is because they have never seen it in mom or dad or in grandma and grandpa. When they see it in your life and they see it in my life, they know there's something real and they want a taste of it. So I pray that not only would this place be a place of encounter, but your home will be a place of encounter. And finally, we see the purpose. We, we all need motivation. And we see in here the motivation. We see the purpose for pursuing God's will. Verse 12, really, and it carries on into verses 13 and 14 in the text here. It goes back to Thanksgiving again. In the midst of all of this, he says, well, I'm praying for the will of God for you. I'm giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. And then look what he's done for us. Verse 13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
We've been rescued from darkness into this eternal dynasty. We have an inheritance that awaits us. We've been redeemed from the devil's dominion and restored to the design that God had for us like he had in the garden for Adam and Eve to walk hand in hand with him. So that becomes the passion, that becomes the driving purpose, it becomes that motive. When you're saying, Pastor, I know what's right, but I just don't stay motivated. Look back at what he's done for us when he died and gave his life on the cross and secured us a home in heaven when we put our faith and trust in him. I like to summarize it this way, and I think we can put this up on the screen. This statement right here, out of gratitude for his love and grace that rescued me from darkness and redeemed my life, restoring me to God's design and rewarding me with eternal inheritance, I want to live my life in his strength for his glory. Would you say that with me? I want you to read this with me. Read it along. Read it out loud. Read it in sincerity. Out of gratitude for his love and grace that rescued me from darkness and redeemed my life, restoring me to God's design and rewarding me with eternal inheritance. I want to live my life in his strength for his glory. What's our motivation? Gratitude. If we're not about pursuing the will of God for a life, it's because we're an ungrateful people. If we can wake up every day and think of something we want for ourselves, something we want in our career for it to offer us, something we want in, in, in the other areas of life, recreation, athletics, whatever it may be, so that it might reward us. If we're not pursuing it for the glory of God, it's because we're simply not a thankful people. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Do everything for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, <laughs> he says, you're to do everything for the glory of of God, if one of my children were to give their life saving your life, whether it was you know, fighting in a battle or, or, or pushing you out from in front of an oncoming vehicle, if one of my children gave their life to save your life, and you were to come to me and you say, I'm so thankful, How can I ever show that I'm, I'm grateful? I would say, well, listen, here, here was their mission. Here was their legacy. This was their passion. This is what they were all about. You can honor them by being about those things. And if you were to say, no, 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 I'll tell you what, but once a week I'll kind of tip my hat in their direction. Uh, once a week I might call their name. Once a week I, I'll, 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 I'll give 5 or, or $10 or something to say, yeah, that goes toward whatever they were about, whatever that is. I would say, no, 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 that's not gratitude. Gratitude is when you say, they died so that I might live, and I'll give my life for their mission, for their cause. That's our motivation when it comes to the call of God and the will of God on our lives. When we say, Jesus Christ went to a cross, he died for my sin, he gave his life for me, all hell was poured out on him so that all heaven might be poured out on me. Out of gratitude for what he's done for me, I want to be about his mission. I want to be about his cause. I want to discover his will for my life. And it's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just something I tip my hat to once a week. It's something that I want to wake up and I want to breathe that purpose every day of my life because that's the will of God. That's my motivation. That's what's going to drive me to keep on going. I'd look for someone to take up their cause. 
their character, and their mission. That should permeate our way of thinking when it comes to how we engage in our careers or any kind of continuing education or a dating life, a courtship, marriage, is how is this helping me to glorify God? Whether I want to become a carpenter, a lawyer, whether I want to go into medicine or ministry or education, how can I do this for the glory of God because of what Christ did for me? And it's not going to be easy in the world we live in to say we're going to do everything for the glory of God. But he is the one who's calling us. He's the one who's revealing his will. It's his process. It's his power. It's his purpose. It's that the gospel has changed my life, that I can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Is that the way we're living our lives every day? Is that the way we're bringing up a generation? Because I'll tell you, if that's the way we're bringing up the next generation, they're going to shine like stars because there aren't many of them anymore. There's not many of them anymore that are being brought up to change the world for the glory of God. But light shines brighter in darker places. And I pray that we launch some bright lights from this church, from your family, from my family. Would you pray with me?